Hello and welcome to Home Educating Wildlings. I'm Kiki, a home educating mum to two very loud, playful wildlings in the middle of England, UK. This podcast shines a light on this beautiful no-school life choice and is here to encourage you on your own home ed journey. Because the tide is turning for many, many more families who seek a different direction. So whether you're new to home educating, thinking about it, or you're already forging your own home ed path, thank you for joining me. However you're lifing and learning right now, I'd love to connect. You can find me over on Instagram at Kiki and the Wildlings or visit my website at educatingwildlings.co.uk. Community is hugely important to me, so if you enjoy this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could leave me a rating, feedback and those all-important shares over on social media. Thank you so much. So today on the second episode of Home Educating Wildlings, I'm going to talk you through our brief journey with school and why we decided that school wasn't the right path for us as a family. I'll talk about the day we got our eldest official letter about choosing a school, right through to how we live and learn now. You'll get to hear my son talk about his personal experience with school and why he prefers home education. Now, let me be clear, this is our experience and our opinions. I'm not preaching and I'm not here to persuade anyone to change their lives. This is our story and our journey. When my son was three and a half years old, we received the school letter. I felt sick with dread. Here in the UK, parents receive a letter from the local education authority almost a year before our kids start school. It tells us which schools are in our catchment area and asks us to choose in order our preferred choices. There is no option for home education on it. It is an authoritative letter and most parents think they have to comply. It doesn't even enter people's heads that they can choose different. I can't tell you how many people think it is a legal requirement. Of course, education is a legal requirement, but school is not. And so the sadness, dread and grief started to set in with me. I felt like we were constantly under a ticking time bomb, having to make the most of every day together, because soon it would all be taken from us. Our days would no longer belong to us, instead dictated by a system that doesn't even know us, or know what was best for my son to thrive. And yet I started to realise that others didn't feel the same as me. People were actually counting down the days until their kids would start school. I was led to believe that my feelings weren't normal. I was different and I should be putting my son's feelings ahead of my own because apparently this is what he needed. Apparently he was ready for this. Apparently it would do him good. But what the hell did anybody know about what he needed? Absolutely nothing. What about what he wanted? What about what we needed as a family? Having now had time to reflect on this, I feel the timing of this school letter is poignant. This letter comes at a time of potential challenge for parents, big challenge. Three-year-olds aren't always easy. They're no longer napping. They're constantly needing our energy, our attention. They're active, inquisitive, and so busy. They can be pretty exhausting and full on, but three-year-olds do get older. And with each year, they get more independent. So whilst the challenges remain, they change. There is no doubt in my experience that the jump from three to five is massive. Five-year-olds are much easier in the sense that they need less of you. 
Sure, they still need you so much, but their attention spans have grown and their abilities have increased. I wonder if the age to go to school was, say, seven, like in Scandinavia, instead of four, people might not be so eager to part ways with their children. But perhaps not. I think it's important to raise the topic of childcare because obviously most parents need childcare and school is childcare. But there are ways around it and I'll talk about this in a future episode. And so on to the school visits. Many parents simply choose the school closest to where they live. It's easiest, right? Well, not me. I looked around seven village schools near us, all much of a muchness. I was the mum asking all the questions. One head teacher actually said to me in a very frustrated tone, you don't need to worry about that. We're the teachers. We know what we're doing. Wow. I was a grown adult and I was still being put in my we don't question school box. I was honestly anticipating a feeling of glorious nostalgia when I entered these school gates. I had enjoyed my time at primary school, at least I thought I had, but it all felt wrong. It was so far removed from our parenting ethos and our way of life that I left each school more disheartened and honestly slightly grief stricken. I had issues with the lack of identity, the uniforms, the lack of choice, the reward systems, being cooped up inside, almost non-existent one-to-one -one time, the lack of autonomy, the unrelatable nature of many of the subjects, and I could go on. It felt like such a waste of precious time, our time, my son's childhood. My main concerns at that point was the lack of time outside the classroom. We have always been outdoorsy, adventuring in nature. We spend time outdoors every day, two to four hours in the winter and up to 10, 12 in the summer. It felt so cruel to take that away from my son. I knew how beneficial it was for him. And what about our child-led, interest-led way of life? Way before I even knew it was a thing or had a label, it just seemed so natural and obvious to me to let my babies, toddlers and now my children to follow their own curiosities. It was wondrous. Things that might seem trivial to a grown-up or even one of their peers was to them important and I've always valued that and respected their desires. So how could I suddenly hand over my enthusiastic four-year-old to a system that was the opposite of child-led? How could I instill equality and consent when in school it is so authoritarian and built on compliance and coercion? How could we raise children to be truly heard, understood and loved for their true selves when school was simply not interested in their individuality? How could I encourage a thirst for knowledge, curiosity and learning when ideas and questions are so effortlessly ignored, snuffed out or even ridiculed? And yet I was under the spell of school. We still chose to send our son to school. We chose the most outdoorsy school we could find. Starting school was tough, really, really tough. The settling in stage was in a word, awful. My confident, sociable, eloquent child dreaded going every single day for weeks on end. Our mornings consisted of gentle coercion to get his uniform on, eat his breakfast, brush his teeth, leave the house, get in the car, get out the car, walk to the classroom, go in the classroom. School didn't start at 9am for us. It started from the moment we woke up at 6.30am. 
Everything was about school. We would get to school and he would minute by minute cling tighter and tighter to me. He would hide behind me, beg me not to leave him, and even scream and cry. He was often physically prized away from me. We were the ones that other parents would pretend not to see because they were mortified. They were relieved it wasn't them, perhaps even a little smug or judgy. I had created a clingy child. The general consensus by all was, he'll get used to it, or he'll soon learn what's good for him, or the sooner he realises life's hard, the better. But if all that sounds bad, it got worse. One day I left school after drop-off covered in blood and sobbing my heart out. My son had been crying and screaming so much he'd given himself a nosebleed. It makes me feel sick and my heart breaks for him thinking about it now. I left school looking like I'd committed a crime. And do you know what? I had. A crime against my son. I'd put the needs of a system before his own. He was four. A system that cares nothing for him. I can't tell you the shame and sadness I still hold on to over this. I look back and I cannot believe I put him through it. That day I went home and called my mum and then my mother-in-law to relay the story. They both were so heartbroken for him. They both suggested we looked at private schools. Perhaps a smaller setting could be more understanding. So I looked at some online. I would have to work way more than I was currently doing to afford it. Yes, they looked impressive. Yes, they had smaller classes. But ultimately, they weren't any different. I realised the school education system was the problem. School was not home. School was not us. Whenever I picked him up from school, the teacher said he was fine once I'd gone home. He soon settled. Well, of course he did. He had to internalise his emotions. He didn't feel safe and loved. And that is the only way we can be our true selves without fear. We can only communicate our true feelings if we know we'll be heard, held and understood. He would continue to internalise and bury his emotions. He would eventually break to the will of the school, the system. But what would he be sacrificing? I didn't want him to change, be someone he wasn't and continue to accept his unhappiness for the will of others and the system. He was beautiful just as he was. His mental health was too important and his spirit was not ours to bend and break. Let me remind you again, he was just four years old. I think by week two or three I started to research home education. But boy did I have a journey ahead of me. I had to convince my husband and I felt the need to seek validation from others around me. I realised early on this was no mean feat. To say people were appalled at the idea would be an understatement. I should say at this point that this was pre-Covid. This was 2019. So home education was still fairly unheard of. Whereas now things are changing. I've really recognised that. I think more and more people are coming round to it or understanding it a bit more. But there is a heck of a lot of legwork to do to get to a point where it's openly and honestly trusted and accepted. So meanwhile, I was volunteering at the school any opportunity I got. This gave me real insight to what life was like inside the classroom or on those welly walks, the library walks and the swimming lessons. The welly walks were forced, unstimulating learning. 
The children went on a walk and had to find 2D shapes, triangles, circles, rectangles around the town. It was honestly painfully dull. I watched four-year-olds still in nappies relieving themselves in shame. I witnessed children crying for their parents and I realised just how much time of the day was wasted with getting coats on and off, queuing for the toilets, queuing to wash their hands, waiting for silence and the constant interruptions. Actual learning time was minimal. Of course, time interacting with peers and friends is learning, but don't be under any illusion that that all-important socialisation time is available whenever they want throughout the day. Sure, they get snippets here and there and at break times, but the rules and rigours of schooling and constant instruction interrupt many quality conversations between friends and conversations are mostly steered on topic. I felt this heavy burden in my heart that not only was I losing my son for six and a half hours a day, not only was he being ripped from his joyful, busy home life where he could enjoy his passions, but he wasn't even really learning all that much. He was missing out on so much one-to-one -one time, so much time to himself to direct his own learning. It is no exaggeration when I say that his enthusiasm for life and learning was dwindling. I knew he would be learning far more meaningful things outside of school and that he should have more access to children of all ages without constant direction from adults. By February 2020, month five of my son's time at school, my husband and I went to the first parents' evening. We honestly couldn't care less about academic progress. We wanted to know how he was coping emotionally and how well the teacher understood him as a unique person. The teacher was lovely, but was predominantly focused on grades. She said in her 11 years of teaching, she had never encountered such an eloquent talker with such a sophisticated breadth of vocabulary, that his knowledge for the wider world was impressive. Hey, we hadn't been doing too badly then. He was in the top tier for most things except writing. He was ranked middle tier for this, and apparently we needed to get him to the top tier. But why? This child could barely hold a pencil. He wasn't ready physically or developmentally to write. His success was not about enjoyment, or his interests, or those all-important connections. We walked away and even my husband was shocked. This behind-the-scenes pressure on our child was heartbreaking. And so my home ed research continued. And then a few weeks later, the pandemic hit. School was out. My son could not have been happier. Sure, he missed his friends, but he was home. He was where he needed to be, where he wanted to be. He could spend his mornings how he chose, free from the getting ready for school anxiety. He could wear what he wanted or nothing at all. He could eat when he wanted, use the bathroom when he wanted, play as much as he liked, have cuddles when he needed them, enjoy books after books. He was free to busy himself in the garden and enjoy adventures with his family once again. But what about the learning? Let's use maths as an example, as this is one of the priority subjects for schools. 
My son was way above his age for maths. He was only expected to be able to count to say 10, maybe 20. But already he was working out multiplication equations, using money, appreciating patterns in nature, enjoying geometry when he found it in science, and his fractions were effortless to him. But school wanted him to complete painstakingly boring, unstimulating worksheets. They were too easy for him, but yet he struggled to write the answers because he wasn't ready to write. He would quickly become frustrated, deflated and devastated that his body, his hands were just incapable of writing these simple answers. Answers that would take him seconds if he was using his voice minutes upon minutes, half an hour even, just to write. He would scream and cry saying he was rubbish. His self-confidence was being battered every time he sat down to do a worksheet. It was cruel, it was unnecessary and it was not okay. He was associating maths, a topic that he loved and was good at, to be something that he hated and couldn't do. So I asked why maths had become about writing. But of course, writing is a necessary metric for proof of learning in schools. But I didn't need worksheets. We had conversation. He didn't need to be held back with his love of maths by writing. He was naturally self-directing his love of learning maths without even realising it. This was my realisation. He didn't need school to learn. School was actually preventing him from learning. I was willing to let him do maths his way. So we abandoned schoolwork weeks later, days later even, and instead I proved to the teacher his learning through other natural means, through our life. Instead of doing a simple fraction worksheet on halves, he was baking cakes for enjoyment and then cutting them into halves, quarters, eighths. Instead of completing boring worksheets, of handwriting practice, we were magic painting big letters in the sun on our garden path with water and paintbrushes. Instead of making him sit down to watch a video of the teacher reading The Gingerbread Man, a story that none of us particularly enjoy, and then putting pictures in order of the story to prove that he understood how a story works, beginning, middles and ends, and that narration, Instead, he would choose his own story to narrate back to me enthusiastically, in detail, using an incredible breadth of language. And yes, he would relay it back to me in the correct order and through the joy of play. He needed to be doing, not sitting, and he needed to be doing it his way whilst having fun. Because are we not instilling a love of learning, a love of discovery and autonomy? Should we not be accommodating and honouring their own personal best ways to learn, whether it's through auditory learning or movement? Can we not give them a learning journey that is full of wonder, joy and play? One that works for them. Now the teacher was happy to receive photo and video evidence of these learning examples that were creatively fulfilling the learning outcomes that she required. However, writing, not just any writing, cursive writing at his school, was still expected. Boring, random, meaningless sentences were set for my son to read and then write, but without looking at the words because apparently copying the words was effectively cheating. Sentences included, the bowl was full of mixed nuts, or the hob was very hot, or some such irrelevant nonsense. She pushed us for them, even when I raised my concerns about the negative impact it was having on his self-esteem. 
I refused to put him through it. It was meaningless. Eventually she said I had tried good cop and done all these fun things, but now perhaps it was time for bad cop. Did he want to be the only one in the class, in his friendship group, who was unable to write when he went back to school in year one? How would that make him feel? However, sadly, she had a point. We would either have to emotionally blackmail him, coerce him and deny him his right to autonomy and consent in order to prevent the alternative consequences. The shame and fear attached to failure and ridicule. I had read Steve Badolf's Raising Boys book, which had said that boys are often behind in class compared to girls, due to their fine motor skill development being behind girls. The younger boys in the year could struggle compared to even the older boys in the class. So a girl who was just turned five when she starts reception compared to a boy who was just turned four is effectively two years ahead developmentally. Boys' self-esteem could take such a battering in this first year of school because they simply couldn't compare to many of their peers. And obviously that can include girls too. So that feeling of inadequacy, underachievement and never living up to the others could carry them through primary, secondary and even into adulthood. If made to feel inferior or in the words of my son, rubbish, at such a young age, how could they emotionally recover from this day in, day out self-confidence crisis? This for me is one of the main problems with the school system. Expectations are set and forced upon our children based on age, not developmental stage. This one-size-fits-all approach as opposed to an individual approach is damaging to the mental health of so many children. I know this because my son was one of these children. And hey, look around you at all the adults you know. How many of them have self-esteem issues? Could it be the result of our childhood conditioning? Of our self-worth being defined by where we rank in the classroom in those crucial formative years and beyond? My husband soon saw how my son's life was far more fulfilling, engaging and joy-driven. And the beauty of it, he was learning his way. Self-paced, diving far deeper than his school peers and the things he loved because he had time, such as science, maths, history and geography, yet still behind in his writing. This learning was consensual, intrinsically motivated and necessary to him. He was now five and he was choosing to learn. You couldn't stop him from learning. He was simply living and learning naturally outside the classroom. He is finally overcoming his pencil to paper fears and has built his confidence by drawing, messy mark making and typing on the computer. He would still be considered behind in school and yet now he chooses to do it for his enjoyment and for purpose. He chooses when he does it, not when he's forced. He is taking ownership. It is his learning journey. We do not follow the school curriculums or benchmarks. We are self-paced and interest-led. We spend our time at play, buried in classic literature, adventuring in nature, building real-world skills and diving deep into topics that have sparked curiosity, such as the Great Fire of London, microbes and volcanoes. It doesn't matter what the topic is, we are doing it for the love of it, and we are learning. 
We need to move away from this subject learning and instead learn naturally through topics of interest. The Great Fire of London incorporates all the subjects with actual meaning. We can learn about how fire starts, which is science, how long it burned for, time and how far it spread, the distance and volume, all maths, how it affected people, the social and emotional understanding, as well as obviously history, geography and literacy. It is so obvious and enjoyable. It is genuine and meaningful learning. My younger son has never been to school. He should be in reception right now. But when he would have started, he would have just been four. He wasn't ready for many reasons. It is wondrous to watch him on his own learning adventure without the interruption of school, without the interference of school. He is learning beautifully without the need of a teacher or a classroom. He is learning his numbers, his letters, how to cook, how to clean, how to enjoy the thirst for knowledge. He is a wonderful example of why school isn't necessary for all children. He is learning naturally on his terms. There is no coercion. He can choose whatever he wants to learn. And yes, believe it or not, he is learning maths and literacy without being taught. He is already reading three-letter words and loving it. He's always practicing his writing and his drawing. But my goodness, the things he's doing above all of that, the incredible art and the music and the history and the love of nature. I look back now and can't believe how fearful I was of not doing school. I have come so far since then. That person is like a stranger to me now. I genuinely felt like it was our only option. But it is not. It is one way, not the only way. I'm now going to leave you with a mini interview with my nearly seven-year-old talking about his experience with school and what he loves about home education. It wasn't quite the interview I had in mind. To be honest, it was a bit of a nightmare to edit because it was riddled with laughter, whiz pops, mic bangs and all sorts of audible mishaps and interruptions. But before all of that, let me thank you again for joining me on Home Educating Wildlings and for all the support I've received so far with this podcast. I'm so grateful for your time and your kindness. Don't forget to follow me over on Instagram at Kiki and the Wildlings to find out more about our unschooling journey and to be the first to know when the next episode is live. But until then, take care and try and enjoy this little interview. So welcome Fred and I thought it'd be really important today to have a chat with you about your side of things and how you found school. So do you, where do you want to start? Um, say before I went to school. Okay. Well, before I went to school, I really enjoyed it, just being at home every day. And then on my first day of school, I felt really nervous. But then a few days on, I really enjoyed it. But then, I didn't really like it a few months onwards from that. Because they were making us do things we all didn't want to do. Like, we had to write tiny loads of tiny words and write words and fill in loads of quizzes on pieces of paper we do really didn't like it so when you say they made you do things what could you not have just said no i'm not going to do that actually i don't want to write today the problem is if you did that well you were getting into trouble they made you do it 
I like hypnotise you really weird. And so you were afraid of being sent to the headmistress if you didn't yeah, do well, you Well, told. none of us wanted to send, go to the headmistress. Okay, so when you started school, you were only four years old, weren't you? So you were actually mm -hmm. the same age as your brother now, about four and a half. Do you think you were ready to go to school and be away from mummy and your family for five days of the week? Any spells? No, oh, definitely not. Okay. Uh, no. Why not then? I was too young. Can't believe why you have to go to school when you only four. Can't, can't why can't you go to school when you're like six or something? That would be a reasonable age. Because four's way too young. You get too worried. Oh, I did get too worried. So what were you worried about? I just, I just didn't like seeing you guys for the whole day. You know? Oh, you didn't like us leaving you for the whole day. Mm -hmm. Did we have lunch today? Yes, and dinner. So what are the things you love to do, Fred? Let's, well, science and history, because I'm really interested in science, because I just, it's one of my natural things, really. I'm very good at it, and I really like, I think it's quite fascinating, actually. And history, I love it. Because my mum's very interested in the Tudors. <laughs> you are very interested <laughs> in the Tudors. Um, so I'm interested in it, but then my, my tooth, I like all of the eras, especially the Egyptians, the Georgians, and yes, the Tudors. Victorians are quite fascinating, but they're not my favourite. Mm. Okay, so how does, um, how does school compare to your life kind of now? Well, I think. It's much better now than it is at school. They made you do things that you didn't want to do. What do you... Okay, so at home then, what do you get to do that you wouldn't be able to do if you were at school? Well, I can play on my one. Oh, I can wear what I want. Yes, and stay in your pyjamas till when you want. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let's see. Oh, I can make chemistry when I want. I can do science experiments when I want. I can do construction when I want. Oh, yeah, and I can climb trees when I want. I can go on adventures when I want. Oh, that's something I miss out. Oh, yeah, I can go on bike rides when I want, scooter rides. Oh, what about a walk down the canal? Yeah, I'm in for that. Oh, I can play games outdoors and see my friends really often. So being home educated, has it stopped you making friends? No, 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 no. It's actually made me make friends more. And how old are your friends? Some are one, some are two, some are three, some are four, some are five, some are six, some are seven, some are eight, some are nine, some are ten. Well, you see, I have a lot of friends. And teenagers? Yeah, I do have teenager friends. And what about grown-ups? Yeah, I have grown-up friends. Yeah. Like you. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so so you don't think it stops you making friends then? Because we go to lots of groups and things, don't we? We're, we go out and meet people a lot. Yeah. And I know one of the things you love to do is go on our day trips. So what kind of places do you like going to? <laughs> easy, easy. I love science museums, especially that one called Thinking Tank in Birmingham. Okay, so do you think you're learning at home? Yep, yep. What are you learning then? Loads of stuff. Science. Yeah. Maths. History. They're my favourite. And what about, we do a lot of, we read lots of books, don't we? Yeah, 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 yeah. And lots of, what about music? We listen to beautiful music. What's your favourite music? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Freddy playlist and Jakey Bug. Mm. Oh, and the Beatles! What would you tell another child then who was at school now and who was thinking about doing home education? What would you say to them? Oh, I would say, I'm home educated, I'm Fred, and it's really nice being home educated. You must do what you want. Play every day, learn as you play. Learn as you play.